Pastor Don, I, I mentioned that earlier. Um, I'm the church administrator and associate pastor here, and so it's my privilege uh, to be here with you this week. And Pastor J.O. sends his love. He says that he misses all of us, um, and he'll be back next week. Um, but I personally am like, you go do whatever you need to do. I, I'll be happy to come up here. So um, I have two announcements that I'd like to make. Um, the first one is, is that we are doing lake water baptisms again. We had our biggest lake baptisms back in August, and we had such an amazing um, response to that. We had people calling the church office, emailing us, saying, hey, I want to get baptized in the lake. Is it too late? And I want to let you know it's not because we've decided to do lake baptisms part dos. That's Spanish for two. So that is going to be next Sunday after the third service. And so the clipboards, Debbie and Seth, will will be going around. Thank you guys very much. So um, I just want to let you know that the weather is going to be warmer. So don't let uh, the the weatherman tell you that you shouldn't get baptized because you might get cold. I was going to make a joke about how warm it is in hell. But anyway, we don't need to go there. (laughs) (laughs) I kid. The other thing that I want to let you know is, uh, obviously, tomorrow is Labor Day, and so since the church office is already closed on Monday, we get to have Tuesday off as well. So when you're going to grab your groceries to bring it back to the Father's Market, um, if you come on Tuesday, we won't be here to receive those. So um, you can do like Lewis said, you can go grab it after service and bring it back or come Wednesday or Thursday. They changed the hours from 5 to 6.30 so that more of you could come and minister and love on these people that are hurting and lost in our community. So 5 to 6.30, um, you know what? Jesus fed the 5,000. And so we're just wanting to do what Jesus did. And once he was feeding them, he was able to reach them, and so that's, that's our goal. We need people to minister and to love on them. So um, the, ser- the sermon title is The O Word. Um, in today's culture, you, you don't even hear this word whispered. It's not like it's, there's this hushed tone that this word is spoken with. I don't hear it in schools. I don't hear it in the grocery store. Um, oftentimes, you don't even hear this word at church anymore, And the word is obey. And I don't know why it's become another four-letter word, but the word obey is a beautiful word. It's incredibly biblical. But when was the last time you heard a parent tell their child, you need to obey? You hear, you better or else, but we don't hear obey. And we sure don't hear obey in wedding vows anymore. Because culturally, it's okay to just do your own thing, be your own person. You just, you do what feels right for you. And that's where we're at. But I want to let you know that the word of God supersedes culture. If we become so culturally relevant that we lose our Christianity, it's all for nothing. Here's what Peter said Acts chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that is the challenge today, is are we going to obey God? Or are we going to do what's comfortable with men? That is always the challenge. That challenge has existed since the beginning of time. I want to read Exodus chapter 19. Now therefore... 
It's God speaking. If you indeed, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, my covenant rather, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. If you will obey. You see, it's always been a question of if, because God never wanted robots or puppets. He wanted children. And he wants us to want to be obedient. He wants us to want to do his will. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to hear from your word, words that that may challenge us, but I believe that they will change us. God, I know that it is your desire that we be set free. Your word says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So I pray today, God, that as we hear your words, as, as maybe we feel convicted, that that conviction would lead to repentance and to freedom. God, we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. First John chapter two. For all, the, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we're talking about pure disobedience, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, versus he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, ever since the beginning with Adam and Eve, there was a choice. Adam and Eve, though perfect, had absolute free will. And so because of their original disobedience, we now find ourselves constantly in this battle, the struggle, if you will, of whether we're going to obey or disobey God's will. Do you know why God asks for obedience? I think we often, when we hear the word obey and obedience today because of where we're at culturally and societally, we feel like those words along with like submit or submission have to do with tyranny and control. And we're like, you can't control me. Don't put me in a box. And that's the way we approach God as well. We hear the words obey and we just start to cringe a little bit. But God isn't a tyrant. He asks for obedience because he is love and he's perfect and he knows the outcome of our obedience to his will and that is blessing and freedom. You see, disobedience leads to imprisonment. Disobedience equals sin. Do you understand that? You've got to make that connection today. If we are disobedient to God, we are sinning. And so he asks for obedience. It's beautiful. So he doesn't want us to suffer the consequences that come with disobedience. And you know, we don't often immediately see those consequences, but that seed is, is planted, the consequences of disobedience. And there will come a time, because when we continue in disobedience, I often find that with humanity, because of the fall, our disobedience gets bigger and bigger. If we, don't, if we don't reign in the disobedience and start becoming obedient in the small things, the disobedience and the rebellion and the sin gets bigger because we feel like we can get away with it. 
And we have to, we have to guard ourselves against that kind of mentality. Deuteronomy 28. There are 14 verses here in Deuteronomy 28 that talk about the blessings of God as a result of obedience. But immediately following that are 53 verses that talk about the curses of God as a result of disobedience. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, well, thank goodness we live in an age of grace. And I absolutely agree with you. But I want to draw your attention to something that Paul instructed the Romans with. Romans 6, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. And my personal favorite, the King James, God forbid. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Isn't that stunning? If you're obedient to God, then you won't be a slave to sin. I want to make it clear that our intent to be obedient to God is not in order to receive blessings. Just as Paul stated here, you obey from the heart. If God never gave you another blessing other than the fact that he saved you from eternal death and has given you eternal life, is that enough reason to be obedient? Paul thought so. But almost as a side effect of obedience, God assures us his blessings. I want to talk about some varying types of obedience. Now, one could easily argue that either you're obedient or you're not, and I agree with that. But as we, as we go through some of these examples, I think you'll find that there are often times that we can convince ourselves that we are, in fact, being obedient to God's will when we're really not. The first one we're going to look at is accidental or unintentional obedience. <laughs> and this is something, um, it, sounds, it sounds weird, but you'll, you'll kind of understand as we, as we get through here. The first example I want to look at is a guy named Jonah. Maybe you've heard of him. Jonah chapter 1. That, that chapter heading is Jonah's disobedience. So it kind of sets the tone for what, what's going to happen here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And so Jonah arose and did everything that the Lord instructed him to do. Just like all of us would, right? Hey, I want you to go to Spokane. And I want you to get a microphone and a a platform. And I want you to preach against the sin that exists over here. Do you know what you and I would do? You'd be like, it'd be a great day to go visit Missoula. We're going to go right this way. (laughs) That's exactly what Jonah did. So Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. I don't know why. They have to keep saying Tarshish so many times. It's so hard to say. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah never intended to be obedient to God. Jonah had not set it in his heart to be obedient prior to when God came to him with this request, command, 
whatever you want to call it. And so because he had not already set his heart to be obedient, when that, that was presented to him, his natural reaction was to run. I think we oftentimes find ourselves in the same situation. And so the encouragement is, is to set your heart now so that when the challenge presents itself, you already know the decision that you're going to make. And that is one of obedience. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. God wasn't done. This was not the end of the story. And Jonah was in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. No cell phone, no video games. There was lots of sushi. No? No? (laughs) So, when, if you stay for the next service. So, Jonah is in the belly of the whale, and I, I love where Jonah, where his heart ends up. Let's look at this. Let's examine this. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You know what I hear here? I hear a willingness to obey. God then released him from his prison. Now you may see his prison as the belly of the whale. I see Jonah's prison as fear. It was fear that drove him away from God's presence. I think fear is often at the root of our acts of disobedience. Fear of what people will think. Fear of, fear of, of the outcome. And so I just pray that today that God would break that prison of fear. And how does he do that? When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Why is it we have to be in the belly of the whale? Why is it we have to hit rock bottom? Why is it we have, to, we have to come to the absolute end of ourselves before we remember the Lord? I want to encourage you to remember him now so that you don't have to end up in the belly of the whale. You know, we don't have to go through hell in order to be a good Christian. Why, why, do we, why do we feel like we have to do that? We don't. God wants to spare us from that. Jonah never needed to end up in the belly of the whale. He just needed to be obedient. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Jonah brought this on himself. The mercy was already there, but he forsook it. Because he he didn't have the right thing as the priority in his life. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Do you note that this sacrifice and this voice of thanksgiving came from inside the belly of the whale? He didn't wait until after his deliverance to start making a sacrifice and to start offering a voice of thanksgiving. If you're waiting until after God sets you free to worship and to praise him, you may not get your freedom. We sacrifice and we thank him today and you just wait and see the deliverance of the hand of God. 
I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh and did according to the word of the Lord. Now you may think that that is because he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. I think it's because he remembered the Lord. I think his obedience wasn't out of fear of consequences, but it was out of a desire to please his God. He had set his heart on obedience. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The previous verse in James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is your heart set to do? Are you double-minded? God says, draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. I want you to meditate on Jonah's cry. Is that your cry? I will pay the vow that I have made. How often do we, do we make vows to God? Too often. Yeah, that's probably a great way to put it. Too often. When we remember God, what he did through Jesus for us, it's far easier to make the sacrifice of obedience. I want you to think of the times where the enemy has come to you with temptation. Maybe it's porn or alcohol or drugs or stealing or lying or maybe it's something as, as simple and as, as unharmful as maybe cheating on a test or something like that. You know, I mean, nobody's getting hurt, right? So, you know, is that really a sin if nobody gets hurt? I want to let you know that the word of God says that it is. There's no, there's, no, there's no gray area when it comes to the word. I want to know when the enemy came to you with those temptations, with that struggle. Did you pause before you became disobedient? Was there a moment where you were conflicted inside of yourself? If there wasn't, then I believe God would challenge you today that there should be a struggle when we're presented or faced with a temptation. Is the only pause that you make to consider whether you're going to be able to get away with it or if it's in alignment with what God's will is? Does this scenario sound familiar? We don't sin simply because we can't get away with it or it can't be done conveniently, and then we pat ourselves on the back because we didn't sin. That's the accidental obedience. It's not intentional. You simply haven't sinned in the flesh because you didn't know that you would be able to get away with it successfully. I want to let you know, fear of getting caught is not the same thing as setting your heart to be obedient. Are you making choices? I think so often as Christians, we just muddle our way through. We don't realize that there's a a sacrifice to obedience. Or maybe we do and we're just not willing to make the sacrifice for obedience. But I believe today that the Holy Spirit would challenge you on that. I believe that today God wants to change something inside your heart 
Because Father knows best. Do you remember that old saying, Father knows best? It's still true today, especially when we're talking about our Heavenly Father. I think some of us have been in the, the whale, the belly of the whale. But here you are today, and this may be your second chance. What did Jonah do with his second chance? He ran with it. And whether this is your second or your 202nd chance, the option or the, the uh, ability to be obedient is present. Number two, partial obedience. First Samuel 15. Um, so the children of Israel up to this point didn't have a, a king. They had prophets that kind of guided the nation, uh, these men of God that listened and, and gave directives. But because it was culturally acceptable and culturally relevant to have a king, the children of Israel clamored for a king, and they, they cried out to God, and God's like, okay, that's what you want. I'll give you a king. So Samuel was a prophet, and Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So this seems pretty clear. This, this, there doesn't seem to be any area for interpretation, any, any grayness to what it is that he's supposed to do. I mean, we can all see very clearly that this came directly from God and, and, and there was no question as to what Saul needed to do. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lamb, and all that was good and were unwilling, unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. See, this is why we can't pick and choose what sins are acceptable and which ones that we, we need to, to walk away from. You know, it would be something like me saying, well, I mean, I can cheat on my taxes. I mean, you know, the government took it from me unlawfully anyway. I can, I can do that. Or, or those office supplies, there's plenty. Nobody knows. I mean, I work, I work overtime anyway. They owe me. And for some reason, I can justify that, but I would, I would never cheat on my wife. Are you kidding me? Why, why would you even say that? And then all of a sudden, we've aligned ourselves with Saul and the people because they decided what part of God's word it was okay to be obedient to and what part it was okay to be disobedient to. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Had he? No. He lied. But man, did he look religious. Oh, oh, how many times, how many times, I, I can tell you, I, I, I remember 
when I first started coming here, I'd come in here with my Christian smile and my happy face, and I'd be like, oh, God bless you. Bless you, brother. How are you? And I felt like a fraud inside. I looked really religious, but God was still dealing with things, and I just put on this, this smiley face. And I, and I left my, my disobedience out there, and I just put on my, my happy Christian face in here. And this is what Saul was doing. And Saul said, they have brought them, because see, Samuel challenges him. Samuel, he's, he's a pretty cool cat. I, I like him. He's, he's, he's a little sassy. Because he goes up to Saul and he goes, um, so what's the deal with the, the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? Why, why do I hear animals that were supposed to be utterly destroyed? And so Saul immediately goes into defense mode. See if you identify with any of these steps that he does. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, so he immediately lessens the sin. And part two, why? To sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Look at me, I was good. So he he tries to explain why he did it. For a good reason. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? I love how Samuel doesn't mince words with Saul. He doesn't try to make Saul feel comfortable. He doesn't try to, oh, Saul, it's okay. It's okay. You'll do better next time, buddy. Why have we gotten away from just the fact that the word of God is truth and that we don't have to try to cushion the blow for people? Samuel doesn't pull punches because this is what Saul needed. You know what, God? We sing about it all the time. God, have your way with me. I give you permission, God. Come in and and do your work in me. And then when he starts, we're like, wait, 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 wait. Stop. Stop. Which is it going to be? Do you really want him to work? That's a dangerous prayer. Are you really willing to do that? Because that's going to require some obedience on your part. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He's gotten to a really dangerous place of believing himself. Oh my goodness. We have to, (laughs) we may lie to other people and say everything's great, but at the end of the day, you've got to be honest with yourself about where you're at spiritually. If you start to believe your own lies, that's dangerous. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And now he's starting to shift the blame to others. But the people did it. Selfish motives disguised as peer pressure. How many times have you found yourself at a party and you know you're not supposed to be there? Or how many times have you found yourself out with the guys and things get out of hand? Every time? Did somebody say every time? (laughs) Appreciate that transparency. 
See, peer pressure isn't a teenage issue. We will often find, oftentimes find ourselves in situations where we shouldn't be. And instead of making the right choice. You know, if you're somewhere where you shouldn't be, there's a real simple solution. Leave. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Finally, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. And yet, he's still trying to protect himself because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Only after being completely rebuked and being rejected as king does he admit guilt. But even then, he's still providing reasons, excuses. We're faced with many choices and many voices. There's only one that we must obey, and that is God's. Don't ever let the voice of the world be louder than the voice of the word. What are you listening to? Intentional obedience. Remember how Moses wasn't obedient to circumcise his own son, and it says God sought to kill him? Well, Zipporah, his wife, knew what was going on. She wasn't even an Israelite by birth, but she knew the commandment, and she got the job done. So I'm not sure if, if Moses and Joshua and the bros were just hanging, and Moses was like, dude, Zippy went all snippy on old Gershom. <laughs> Or if it was just set in Joshua's heart to be obedient. But I want to show you a contrast. Joshua 5. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. There goes the neighborhood. I don't even think Greg could sell that house. (laughs) And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And you know what? That was Moses' responsibility. But Moses, and I love Moses, but we see that he's very human. Moses didn't even circumcise his own son. His wife had to do it, which was not her responsibility. You know what that tells me? Here we go, men. It is your responsibility to lead and protect and secure the word in your family and in your household. This is why Joshua later says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Men, it's our responsibility. And I thank God for the wives who stand in the gap. My wife stood in the gap for me for years. But it was my responsibility. 
but I love Joshua's intentionality. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were born of war, who came out of Egypt, were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord um, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he had raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. What I love here, A, Joshua was intentional. He did exactly what he was told to do down to the type of knife he was supposed to use. Number two, he didn't debate or try to bargain with God. But God, this is, this is gross. Really, I have to circumcise you know, thousands and thousands of men. He didn't, he didn't do that. His heart was set to be obedient. And the third, he didn't listen to the probably very loud outcry from the men. What voice was he listening to? What I, I also love how the scripture says, and this is the reason why. We don't always have the why when God directs us to do something. Sometimes the understanding comes after the obedience but it doesn't always. So then it boils down to a very simple question. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Then obey. The last thing I want to talk about is what I call quiet obedience. There are often personal directives from God, something you read in Scripture that God challenges you on, It's not something that comes from the pulpit. It's not something that comes from from something you read online. It's just something that God challenges you. You you read a verse and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I really need to work on that. There are times when our obedience or disobedience are very public. But I'm talking about those things that you just quietly walk out, you and God. No big public declarations or bold proclamations. I've always felt that the big I'm never going to just makes you a target. (laughs) there was this like murmur of understanding that went through the audience here. Besides, those, those bold proclamations tend to be a lot more about willpower versus the Holy Spirit changing us. James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So many times we go straight to resist the devil. And guess what? It never ends up working out right. I read a Facebook post just this morning about a young man who said, I keep sinning and I keep falling over and over again and I tell myself that the next day will be different and it's not. Do you know what that is? That's resist the devil. But there's a problem because the first part of the verse says submit yourself to God. Submit equals obedience. You see, the world tells us if we submit or obey, we're subjugating or putting ourselves underneath somebody else in a prison, if you will. And I believe that if we obey God and his word, it actually sets us free. We also convince ourselves that if God came to us with some amazing task or call, we would do it. But I wonder, if we're not obedient in the little things, why on earth would we be obedient in the big things? I have to wonder, with Jonah, was he being obedient in the little things? Hey, Jonah, Lead your thoughts captive. 
so that when God came to him with the big thing, his heart was not automatically set to obedience. This is something, this, this particular part was something that God just kind of revealed to me during worship. You can say a million prayers, but if they're not followed by obedience, you will never be set free. Prayers without submission leading to obedience isn't going to set you free. It's like preparing a meal and then never eating it and then wonder why you're starving and weak. God is waiting on us. I would be remiss not to talk about the scripture every Christian parent has drilled into the head of their children. I can quote it in King James if you like. But Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. I absolutely love the simplicity with which God addresses obedience. So sometimes as parents, we kind of held that long life, you know, be well with you as a threat over our kids. Am I, am I the only one? Okay, apparently it was me. But God offers that as a promise. And isn't that just like our Heavenly Father? What I want to do is I want to read this just a little bit differently. Do we all identify ourselves as children of God? Yes. Yeah? Okay, thank you, Debbie. Debbie does. <laughs> children, obey your parent, the Lord, for this is right, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. At what point did we stop becoming children and therefore not need to obey? We're still children of God. And it is his expectation that we will obey for our good. Not because he's a tyrant, but because he wants the best for us. There are a lot of scriptures we could go over. uh, And I encourage you to search out what it is that God would challenge you with. Some of you may already know, and you've just set it on a shelf. I believe that today is the day you dust that challenge from the Holy Spirit off, and you start working on that area. You set your heart for obedience. I want to close with a beautiful testimony of the blessings of obedience. There was a time where I was absolutely in a wilderness. I was lost, disobedient, lazy, complacent, and selfish. And then the Holy Spirit came to me and said, Don, I want you to go on a mission trip. So I sacrificed. I got a part-time job. Debbie and I scrimped and saved. And then 14 months later, we went on a mission trip. That mission trip turned into a challenge from God for us to church plant in Honduras, which will be occurring in 12 months. The sacrifice of obedience means that in a year's time we will no longer be with you guys. And that's a sacrifice to us because we love you. Part of this process is that we need to sell our house, which our girls grew up in. It's a house we've owned for 18 years. So we, uh, we talked to Greg, and Greg did his homework and said, hey, this is what the comps are going for in your area. And Debbie and I, we'd been praying about it, and we were just like, you know what? We think that God wants to do something more. And so we said, this is what we want to sell our house for. And it was about 10000 more. 
And then we'd been praying about who we wanted to get our house. We, we cherished that house. And so we were very specific. God actually showed Debbie, hey, you need to talk about the fruit trees. You need to talk about the fruit trees. So Greg did a great job of, of, of putting that in there. Pastor J.O. had been praying, and he came to us, came to me the night of the legacy auction, and he said, Don, I don't know what you're listing your house for, but I really feel like the Holy Spirit says you're supposed to ask more for your house. Okay? I had an, op- I had an option. I could just not tell anybody that J.O. came to me with that. But I went to Greg, and I said, hey, Greg, <laughs> so... I know that we're already asking more for the house than, you know, what the comps are, but J.O. just came to me and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that we need to ask more. And I said, so I want to pair the Holy Spirit and your experience and wisdom. And we came up with a new price, $10,000 more. Took a step of faith to be obedient in that. We listed the house. In one week, we had 12 showings. And we had one offer. And that offer was from the family we'd been praying for. They offered us $900 more than our asking price. They're paying all of the closing costs. We're closing October 15th. And they loved the fruit trees. I tell you that because God blesses obedience. Where would you be today had you been obedient yesterday? And where will you be tomorrow because of your obedience today? Would you please stand?